All right. Good morning, everyone. So uh, I, I kind of lied to Aaron because I thought, oh, it's such a small group. Uh, it would be so easy to everyone probably won't talk that much, but it's it's a, I think a great blessing to see how everyone, uh, even a small group, uh, just enjoys one another as we worship and fellowship together. Uh, this morning we have a um, great blessing to have uh, one of the um, professors at uh, Covenant Seminary teaches Old Testament, Aaron Goldstein, um, who used to pastor at Western Groves for um, a number of years um, at E Free Church and. Um, more, more recently started at um, Covenant, where obviously we have a lot of um, folks connected at, at Covenant Seminary. So he graciously agreed to help um, deliver God's word to us. So let's uh, welcome him this morning. So I, th- I think, I mean, hay's pretty itchy. So I think a hayride without hay might be the way of the future. <laughs> so I'm all for it. So they may be in a good space there. Um, Thanks for having me, welcoming me here um, to be with you all uh, and to share from God's Word with you. It's a real delight to be here and and to be uh, visiting with you today. um, Our text for this morning is Psalm 1. Psalms is uh, the book of Psalms towards the middle of the Bible. If you have a Bible with you, uh, I believe... uh, I believe if you don't, I think the scripture will be on page 448. Yeah, there it is, 448 of the church Bible that's probably in a chair near you. So uh, Psalm 1 is what we're going to be looking at today. And as you turn, maybe if I can make just a few quick words about the book of Psalms in general. It might be useful. It's a collection of psalms, songs that God's people are to sing to him. There's 150 of them in the book. And we can think of the Psalms as a hymnal for God's people. Now, within the book of Psalms, there are all kinds of different songs, uh, all of them to be sung to God. Uh, There are Psalms that praise God for some aspect of his character or his great works. There are Psalms that give thanks for answered prayer. There are quite a few Psalms that cry out in a time of distress, right? Many different sorts of Psalms. Now, uh, though they're written by human authors, the Psalms are also God's inspired word to us. They're a gift from God, words from him for his people, for us to sing, to pray, to contemplate. And the Psalms, as a gift from God, both give voice to our deepest emotions, but also shape them unto godliness. That's what we have in the book of Psalms. Now, this particular one that we're looking at, Psalm 1, the first one, is something of a doorway into the whole book, an entry point. The Psalms has much to say for God's people about God's blessings, about the hard things we experience in life and how we can have hope in the midst of that. Uh, But this Psalm is set here at the beginning as kind of an entry point, a doorway, because first there's a choice to be made between two different ways in life, two different paths. So what I'm going to do, hopefully you found your way to Psalm 1 at this point. I'm going to read it and then pray and then spend a few moments. We'll spend a few moments talking about it uh, together. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Uh, Lord, as we come to your word here this morning, I pray that you would speak to us, that we would uh, hear and consider what you have to say to us about these two ways set before us, that you will uh, encourage us, draw our hearts to the one, and help us to see uh, the potential destruction and chaos and ruin that comes with the other. Bless this time, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I can be a, uh, a pretty indecisive person. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Pretty indecisive, especially in a situation where I've got uh, multiple seemingly good options set before me. One place where this can manifest is in a, a restaurant, like a sit-down restaurant. You've got a menu in front of you. With, uh, you open it up, and you're just confronted with this huge array of different things choices to make. Now, some things you can look at the menu and just sort of rule whole sections out. I'm not going to have that tonight. But there might well be quite a few things left on the menu from which I might have to choose. So from there, one can do research, right? Poll the people at your table. Have you eaten here before? Is this good? What about that? You can ask the, the waiter's opinion. What would you recommend here? But even still, after sifting through all of that, you might still be left with a lot of good choices. How to choose, how to pick. Well, I've, come to, I've, I've developed a method and I'm gonna share it with you. You can feel free to use it on your own. I call it panic ordering, panic ordering. So here's, it's just three steps, very simple. Uh, step one, uh, if possible, the waiter arrives. Step one, if possible, try to get everybody else at the table to order ahead of you. Step two, because that buys a little bit of time. Step two, uh, when the waiter gets to you, make a panic decision. It's the panic and the panic ordering. And then step three, as the waiter, this is really the most important step, as the waiter departs, immediately regret your decision. Panic ordering, you can use that if you want. Feel free to uh, employ that next time you're at a restaurant. In life, as with a restaurant, there are lots of choices to make every day. As a matter of fact, sometimes uh, easy choices. Other times there are a lot of good ways forward in any given situation. And Psalm 1 is really about the choices that we make in life. The things we prioritize, the things we value. But Psalm 1 presents life to us in a very simple dichotomy. It boils everything down to two. I don't know if you caught that as I was reading two paths calls one path the way of the righteous and calls another path the way of the wicked. Now, that terminology, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, um, shows up at the very end of the psalm directly, but the whole psalm is just this reflection on these two paths that are set in front of us. Now, when the Bible talks about way, a way, or a path, it's not talking about a single choice or a single moment. Rather, it's talking about the whole orientation and direction of one's life whether your life is headed in a Godward direction or in a direction away from God. 
right? The Godward direction, the psalm will talk of as the way of the righteous. Walking away from God, a direction away from God, the psalm will talk about as the way of the wicked. As such, all of our choices in life, all the individual things we do on a day-to-day basis and the things we prioritize and value, all of it gets subsumed in this one distinction. Are we moving toward God or away from him? For the Bible teaches us that all of our lives, every little bit of it is to be lived before God and unto God. There's, of course, an initial decision that we make when one decides to walk this way of the righteous, decides to follow after God, but the Christian life doesn't end at that first moment of belief because Jesus' call is follow me, and that is a call that we hear every single day, every moment of our law, every moment of our lives. So the psalmist, the the author of this particular psalm, uh, lifts these two ways up, the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked, lifts them up for our consideration. He becomes something of a guide and walks us slowly down each of these two paths to see where they lead. With the design, ultimately, we might see the goodness of the one and be attracted to it, say, I want that, and see the destruction and ruin of the other. And turn away from it. We will walk that, those two paths with him here this morning. Now, the psalm begins with this phrase. If you're looking at your Bibles, the psalm begins with this phrase in verse 1. Blessed is the man. That language of blessed here or blessed communicates the happiness of a person, the joy of a person who has experienced God's blessing. In other words, this one has experienced the blessed happiness that is the result of living life in a certain way. By walking this path, the psalm calls the way of the righteous. Now, there are two ways. And our psalmist guide takes us to first to the start of the two paths. Right? If you could imagine it, each way, we're standing here at the outset, each way begins with contrasting sources of guiding influence. Two voices calling to us. Asking us to listen, to follow, to come along. At the head of one of those paths is the voice of God. We'll start there. If you take a look with me at the text again, looking at uh, verse 2 especially, but for context I'll just start at the beginning. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I'll come back to all that in a moment. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, you might be asking, even as I read read that verse, you might be saying, I don't hear a voice calling. Nobody seems to be speaking here. It's just talking about the Lord's law. And we have a tendency to hear that word law as communicating something that is cold and detached and impersonal. And law is a good English translation of this Hebrew word, but we might come away with something too narrow. The Hebrew word here is one you might have even heard before, the word Torah. Torah. It could be translated also something like direction or instruction. And if you've got an ESV in front of you, you might even have a tiny like footnote with imperceptibly small font that says something to that effect. 
Keeping that in mind, this more robust understanding is helpful because it reminds us that the law is not cold, detached, impersonal, but it is, in fact, the Lord's instruction, his guidance, his direction for his children, whom he loves. See, God made the world, and he designed it and ordered it. He, he made human beings, including you and me, we're human beings, of course, uh, in spite of our waywardness. And in fact, because of our waywardness, uh, the story the Bible tells is of a God who loves his people, who pursues them, who goes to great lengths to redeem them and call them his own. He loves us so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, it's this God who loves us so much, who knows you and me better than we know ourselves, and who fully understands the world that he made and how it works. It's this God who gives instruction, who gives Torah. So that we might best navigate this world, this life, as we relate with him and with one another. It's in our best interest, we might say, to obey his instruction, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and might, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and to do everything the Bible says specifically about those things. God seeks our obedience for our good because he loves us. The psalmist speaks of delighting in the law because he knows what it is. It's the instructions of a wise and loving parent who's seeking to direct his children that he loves. His children, who I might mention, are prone to wander at times. So that's the first path, and the first voice is the Lord's, but there's another path and another voice, or maybe better, if we look at the text, a set of voices that are calling to us, asking us, instructing us, guiding us down a different path. Take back a look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's three groups named there. I don't know if you caught that the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers. Now, it's unclear as to whether we understand these terms as just being synonymous, saying the same thing, or if there's some sense of gradation between them. The main point, though, is that all of these groups are in opposition to God. They're competing voices with competing value systems advocating that we go a different way, a way that's contrary to God's way, which the psalm refers to as the way of the righteous. And their path is the way of the wicked. Now, we just got to be aware that... We are in this world constantly bombarded with voices of different sorts. As we scroll through social media, as we watch a favorite news channel, we listen to podcasts, we watch television shows or movies, we listen to music, constantly hearing voices speaking to us in our lives that are either explicitly or implicitly advocating for something. Sometimes those voices are in harmony with God's voice, and that's good. But other times they're not. These voices that the psalm talks about are in opposition to God's way. They'll tell us things like, God isn't real. 
Or God is real, but he's not like the Bible says he is. They'll tell us things like, don't worry about seeking first God's kingdom. True happiness is found in all sorts of other things. Having lots of money so that you can live comfortably and having the best vacations and experiences. To have an internet platform with lots of followers. To have the new, latest, and greatest thing that your neighbor has. That's where you'll find happiness, not in seeking God's kingdom. They'll say things like, the most important thing about you is not that you're made in the image of God. It's not that you're a child of God bought by the blood of the Lamb. That's not what's the most important thing about you. You've got much more important sources of identity in other places. That's what they'll say. They'll advocate allegiance to a particular political party. Not that political parties are bad in and of themselves, of course. But allegiance to a party over and against allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They'll say, don't listen to God. His way is narrow. It's close-minded. It's intolerant. We know a better way. In fact, you know a better way. You chart your own course in the world. You know what's best for you. Don't listen to an old book. Don't let it tell you what to do. We hear these kinds of voices. They're not often as blunt as that, but we hear these kinds of voices speaking to us every day in different ways, and we have to be actively aware filtering what we hear, measuring it against what God has said, because it's so easy to hear and to begin to assimilate those messages into our own view of the world and to start heading down those paths. Because another thing to notice about that verse is the verbs that are used, the action words. I don't know if you, you caught this. Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands, in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Walks, sits, stands. Walks, stands, sits, excuse me. There seems to be something of a progression here. At first, I'm, I'm just walking along with these anti-God voices, just checking things out, not making any sort of commitment at all, but then soon enough, uh, the walking becomes standing. And now I'm in a state of regular involvement. I haven't fully committed, you see, because I'm a stander. I can always walk away if I want to. But I'm here. And then as quickly as it all began, the standing becomes sitting. I'm committed. I've established my presence. I'm not planning on leaving. I'm not part of this group. Well, you can see that slippery slope progression with increasing entanglement. These, fo- these uh, folks, the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers, become the guiding influence in my life. That's why it's important to be on guard and thoughtful when we hear things and to discern, is this the Lord's voice I hear? A loving Heavenly Father who wants what's best for me? Or is it someone trying to pull me in another direction? Now, the two paths start with those two sources of guiding influence, the Lord and those voices in opposition. And you might say something like this, why shouldn't I get to decide who I listen to after all? Who's to tell me what to do? Fair enough. But the choice we make and the choices we make has consequences. And it's to that end that the psalmist continues to walk us down these two paths to show us where each will lead. So the two images employed right in the middle, verses 3 through 5, really are the heart of this psalm. 
Both of them are agricultural farming images, which would have been really familiar to many of the ancient Israelites who themselves were farmers, and they're used to illustrate the respective consequences. Here's what happens. You got two paths. Here's what happens if you walk on these two paths. The first is the path of those who heed the voice of the Lord, who delight in his instruction, who walk the way of the righteous, and the image is a tree. Verse 3 reads this way. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, a few things to highlight about this image and what it's communicating to us. First, the tree is planted by streams of water, and because of it, from season to season, the leaf is not withering for want of nutrition. This speaks to the life-giving nature of following the Lord in our lives. It's sustaining. It brings a residing peace and joy. And when I say joy, I don't mean sort of a temporary happiness, but a residing joy and peace in the Lord, even when things are hard and difficult and sad. Good times and bad, this tree is rooted deeply and alive. Second, the tree is fruit-producing. Uh, the last line, in all that he does, he prospers. We might hear prosper and conjure up all kinds of ideas about uh, financial gain or career success, advancement in athletics or academics, fame and fortune. We hear prosper, and those are the things that often come to mind first. As one of my colleagues at the seminary points out, though, a tree bears fruit not for itself but for others. It's perhaps a good moment to remember that this psalm is a song that would have been sung by a congregation of God's people together. God envisions his people living in the context of community, in fellowship with other believers. And the sort of prospering that this psalm involves is actually the ability to serve other people in the community of God's people. In other words, the part of the result of the fruitful life of being a follower of God is the ability to be a benefit of others, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to be an encouragement in word and deed with those who are around us, to be generous, the ability to be generous with our time and our money and our energy, to be able to offer wise and godly uh, advice, to be a blessing in all sorts of ways. Those are all fruits of a life lived on the way of righteousness. As God's people, we want to be a community filled with those sorts of, we want to be in a community filled with those sorts of people, with each of us devoted to following the Lord, experiencing his blessing in our lives, and then pouring that out to bless one another. That's a beautiful thing to envision. But what about those who don't heed the voice of the Lord? And instead, follow the guidance of the opposition, the wicked, the sinner, the scoffer. The second image communicates a contrast. It's the beginning of a warning. Verse 4 says this, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Like the fruit tree, this image would have been readily understood by ancient Israelites, many of whom were farmers. 
Chaff is, I, I don't know this naturally, I had to read about it, of course. Um, chaff is the part of wheat that uh, in a threshing process, you throw it all up in the air and the grain, the part that you eat is heavier and so it falls to the ground, but the chaff is the stuff you don't want and it just blows away. Unlike the strongly rooted tree, the chaff has no roots. So it's just blown from place to place, to and fro by the wind. It doesn't have any life at all, as a matter of fact. It's a pale picture describing a person who is walking on the path of the wicked, always looking to find satisfaction somewhere in the world, something that will bring lasting joy, something that will bring hope and purpose, something to anchor to, and looking in all sorts of places, never fully finding it, always empty. When the only thing that can actually provide that is following after the Lord. At the very end of our psalm, uh, the psalmist guide, he takes us to the end of each respective path so that we might see where it leads to its ultimate conclusion. Take a look at verses 5 and 6, if you would. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, this twofold description actually reminds me of the way that Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount, this famous teaching of Jesus' sermon from Matthew chapters 5 through 7. He ends the sermon this way. He says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus speaking, and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. According to this psalm, the wicked will experience God's judgment and the psalm says that that way will ultimately perish. But of the righteous, the psalm says the Lord knows their way. The knowing here is much more than just kind of cognitive awareness, knowing of facts. The Lord knows everything that way, of course. It's, it's more deep than that. It's communicating, knowing as in love and relationship. As I might say, I know my children. The Lord knows us. And it's a great comfort to know that the Lord knows us and knows our way. Uh, in walking this path following after the Lord, you belong to God. He knows you. He knows all the details of your life. He knows the things that bring you happiness and all the things that you're worried about. He knows everything that has happened to you and everything that will happen to you. He knows the pains and the trials you've endured, and he knows the, he knows the ways that you're going to stumble. And through it all, you belong to him and will belong to him forever because he holds you in his hand. He knows you. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, earlier on, I mentioned, it's kind of pulled Paul here to a close here shortly. Earlier on, I mentioned uh, that this psalm and its call to follow the way of the righteous rather than the way of the wicked is for everyone. Uh, it's for those who have never before heeded the Lord's voice and are hearing it for the very first time and have to step onto that path for the first time. But it's also for those who have been walking on this path, following the Lord, the way of the righteous, for a very long time because uh, to, to run the risk of pressing the metaphor too far. We wander off that path from time to time. We hear those voices of opposition, 
and we walk, we stand, we even sit among the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers. We become infatuated with some, uh, some sinful thing and get stuck. As when we walk this path of righteousness, we often still stumble and fall. But the Lord has grace for us. For there is one who has walked this path perfectly, the Lord Jesus. He's the one whose delight is perfectly in the law of the Lord. And on the law of the Lord, Jesus meditates day and night. He lives his whole earthly life in perfect harmony with God the Father. He, Jesus is perfectly like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Jesus prospered incalculable, incalculably as his life, his fruit, produced salvation for all who would believe in him. See, our walk on this way of the righteous that the psalm talks about, it's not a lift yourself up by your bootstraps, keep working harder at it kind of a walk. It's a walk of faith in Jesus, in what he's done for us. See, he stands as our Savior so that we find grace when we stumble, when we wander off. He's our Savior, but he's also in this our guide and example to lead us on this path of righteousness, to call us back when we wander off and get lost. The way of the righteous is a good path, a path of blessing, and Jesus calls us to walk it following after him. So the psalm presents to us these two different paths. Life is found in one of them. The Lord stands and calls from that way. Hear his voice today. Let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for... uh, Thanks for your word. We are uh, grateful for uh, the chance to reflect on it and uh, to know that you are a loving father who cares so deeply for us, who wants what is best for us, who sees us wandering off and longs for us to come back. Thank you for Jesus and the grace we have received in him. I pray that uh, even as we think about this psalm and think about your word for us, your uh, guidance and instruction, we would be drawn to it. We would long to follow after you, and we would see that any other path leads to ruin. We pray these things in uh, Jesus' name. Amen.